I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. I'm also excited to announce that the Karen Lewis Eating Disorder Center is expanding throughout the country. If you are an experienced, well-trained therapist with lived experience, whose clinical approach aligns with the values represented in these podcast episodes, or if you are seeking treatment, we would love to hear from you. Please go to our website, KarenLewisEDC.com. All right, everyone, here we go. This is a really beautiful episode. My guest for today is Anne Poirier, and she is the author of The Body Joyful, My Journey from Self-Loathing to Self-Acceptance. And it is a beautiful interview. Anne has so much to share. I highly recommend everyone get the book. And as always, we are just going to jump right in. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting with Anne Poirier today, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here and talk to you and share more about our journeys together. And the reason the reason why I'm excited is just that the journey. Your journey is is it it just it resonated so much with me, your journey, so many parts of it. And so can you tell the listeners, I, I want to say a little bit about yourself, but there is a lot to tell between your book and and the work that you do with coaching. Tell the listeners something, whatever you want about yourself. <laughs> sure. Well, I am the author of The Body Joyful, um, my journey from self-loathing, which I think a lot of people can understand, especially with um, Valerie Bertinelli's last, I don't know if you saw that, she had a last little YouTube clip about trying not to go into self-loathing. So the the actual you know subtitle of the book is from self-loathing, my journey from self-loathing to self-acceptance. So that's a really we're not alone in feeling that way. Right. Um, so, and it came out in October. So I'm really excited about that. And I am an intuitive eating counselor. Um, I've done some eating disorder work through Plymouth state, their graduate program, um, been in fitness for many, many years. So those are some of the, you know, technical qualifications, but this work is so important to me and to you, um, and to all the, the whole next generation. I think that's where I'm trying to lead myself towards, you know, seeing our next generation not have to deal with all this. And, and when you say deal with this, I actually want to point out and, and by no means invalidating, but it's, it's highlighting 
the little traumas that we go through in life. And Anne, I think that's, there were times when I had to put your book down because the little traumas inside were like, they just broke my heart. And by the way, kids are going to be going through certain things, but I think it's important to understand, especially when we're talking about two children or about children, what it is that's going on in their mind and what it is that they're absorbing from other. If you're okay with it, I'd like to read one part. And I know we're just jumping right into the book, but this was where I, my heart broke. I had to put it down. And and that's not a bad thing. That means you're a really good writer. <laughs> and, and I also resonated with the, the shaming of self. And so what I want listeners to know is that when you were five years old, you were really, really excited to go to kindergarten. Really. All parts of you excited. You went running in the first day. You even talk about how there were all these other high energy five-year-olds. And this is the part where I said to myself, oh my God, this is where her little psyche started to break. So you write, the second week of school, Mrs. G gave me a note to bring home to my mom. Wow, none of the other kids have a note to bring home. My brother never brought a note home. I must be doing something good. Yay for me. I was so very proud to be bringing that note home. I knew I must have been doing something right. Excitedly, I ran in the house. Mom, I yelled. She emerged from the dining room dressed in a lilac sweatsuit, the one she wore whenever she exercised. I held the note up to her. She smiled, opened it, and began to read it out loud because she could see how excited I was. She became puzzled as she read, thinking maybe she should have read it to herself. And the note said, Dear Mrs. Poirier, I'm writing to inform you that Anne is no longer allowed to finger paint or take part in art class. She is too messy and is a distraction to all other children. Her station is always a mess, and today she had paint all over herself, the floor, and the other students. Please let her know she will be sitting out during art from now on. Thank you, Mrs. G. Anne, I feel tears in my eyes rereading that. You... Your perfect little soul, excited energy. Kids are messy. Adults are messy. Life is messy. What are your thoughts when I read that? And and, and I hope it's okay that I just jumped right there because that was that I had to put the book down. Mm. It's so, it's so heartbreaking to hear. Actually, I had a childhood friend read the book and say that that exact same thing happened to her sister in that exact same kindergarten classroom. And that broke my heart even more to realize I wasn't the only one, but it becomes this, this, and I call them seeds, right? These seeds that get planted inside of us that we just, this is who I am. I am messy. I am overactive. I am clumsy. I am always getting myself in trouble. I'm always breaking things. I'm always hitting myself, right? And all of that kind of feeling of just never, quite being like the other kids, not being accepted, 
not looking the same part, right? So that kind of comes a little bit later. I'm not, I don't look like the other kids. So all of it just, I, I, when I stepped back to, to write the book, I realized how much impact the little things, the little voices, the little actions, um, the comments, not even to me, around me, the looks of people and, and looking at each other or talking about things outside of like, not, I'm not even there and taking those all in as personalizing them. They're mine. I, I also want to point out what it is saying is everything, and, and, and I hate to sound really dramatic, but to a five-year-old, everything about your energy is wrong and excluding you from the rest until you learn how to adapt and fit in to culture, and then we will let you come back in. Now, let's apply that to a teenager who's trying to go through high school, a, a, someone in their 20s, someone in their 30s. We keep getting bombarded by these messages, and yours started at five. And that's so right on when we think about fitting in and body size and body shape and all of the, the social, social pressures that we, that we have around that. And that's where it can be so traumatic having that planted so early and then just having it fester. Yeah. And the same words over and over, the same language that we use over and over in our heads, that same self-loathing, that same beating self up, you know, all of those same voices and how it's no wonder we find ourselves looking for something to, to numb out or finding a way to disconnect from the pain. Can you say a little bit more about your story? Because when you said more voices, it reminds me in the book, you talk about you had a whole neighborhood in your head of critical voices and all this. So bring us a little bit through the story. And, and that was a really, that was a really great metaphor because I think we all have all these voices in our head and, and it was, it was like a little neighborhood for you. So share, share with listeners a little bit about your journey. Yeah. Well, the first voice that really came into my head was this clumsy Carla because I was always clumsy and always running around the house, knocking things over. My mother was always telling me to go outside and, you know, get rid of my energy outside and not to, to do the things that I was doing in the house. So this, this clumsy Carla and this messy, you know, messy Mel, and they had stupid Sally. I just had all these voices that continued, you know, year after year, right through elementary school, right through junior high, right through high school. And that those voices, as I can see them now and look at them now, I can see how they just fed off each other you know, they would work together or one would be fighting for attention, but the voices, I was able to actually pull them out and say, okay, whose voice is that? Where does that voice come from? But we don't always do that when we're, we just think it's us. This is, this is who I am. This voice is me. I'm so stupid. I'm so fat. I'm so clumsy. I can never do anything right. Why am I always failing? Why am I always um, last? All of those voices and all those things that just get worn down in a path in our brain over and over and over and over again. Now I use that analogy of grass. And if we're walking across grass and we use the same exact wording, 
over and over and over and over again, it just gets like a trench. And it's no wonder that that's what we say to ourselves, you know, and to go ahead. Well, I, do, I don't mean to interrupt, but most people know that this is like my favorite thing in the world to talk about, which is neuroplasticity. Mm. And, and I use that metaphor that if we walk through the same path, it's going to be an easier walk because everything is pushed down, but it's the path that, that keeps us sick. If we take the courage to walk on the unwalked on path, if that's even an expression, it's harder. The grass is still up, but eventually if we keep walking that path, that path will be the, the the more common one and the negative one, the grass will regrow up. So I love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and what I call that is stepping into the weeds, right? So we step into the weeds of the, of the uncomfortable, of the things that, are, well, yes, it's not going to be comfortable. And sometimes just becoming aware of the voice, the negative voice is progress because we can stay in a place and not at least walk on the path that's worn. We can pause as we learn, and that's you know that's kind of this. I I elicited my maxi me, so I had enlisted this voice that's stronger, more positive, more compassionate, more kind, more neutral. Right in the beginning, it was just much more neutral. Let's just you know I can I'm doing the best I can. Let's let's work with this versus oh, I can't believe I did that again. Oh, it's it's even the, in the tone of the voice in our head right? We have a certain tone of certain voices and trying to soften the voice and relax the voice and allow for, give permission to have a different voice. All of the, I, I love the neuroplasticity piece of all of this, that we can retrain our brains and that we can find different words for ourselves and we can walk on the weeds until they get into another path, you know, of other paths for us that are actually supportive of who we are. And you said something important, and, and I'm paraphrasing the words, but you said something like it's uncomfortable. And I think people need to, to know that 100% when they start this journey, because I've had so many clients say to me, why do I, I almost feel worse now that I'm in the process. Why aren't I feeling better? I must be doing recovery wrong. And I say, no, oh, that means you're actually doing it right. It's going to feel worse before it gets better because it is a very uncomfortable process and part, part of an eating disorder, many, many, many functions of it, is to never get uncomfortable. And so we're asking people to do the absolute opposite. So I think people need to know ahead of time. And I think it's unfair for them to not know that it's an uncomfortable process until it's not. Right. And it is hard work, you know, and I hate to use the word hard work, but it is work because it is uncomfortable. And our brains, our bodies, all, all of our biology wants us to be comfortable and strives us to be comfortable. So, but we've gotten, un, we've gotten comfortable with things that don't support us, behaviors that don't support us. And getting uncomfortable is really the only way to move out of that space. And it's, it is hard, but I completely agree. We really need to allow for that and make sure people understand, yeah, it will be uncomfortable. And yes, this is an uncomfortable choice, but you have the choice. Can you say a little bit more about the story? Because there's some other highlighted parts that I think people are going to resonate with, such as the doctor's office. 
going to buy jeans at Sears. Like some the and this is why when people when I do assessments with people and we talk about trauma and they're like, no, 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 I I haven't experienced trauma. I was like, mm, let's let's sort of untangle that word because there is and and as most therapists know, there's big trauma and little trauma. And if there's a number of little traumas that your little perfect psyche is keep coming up against, oh my gosh your sense of self at the end of all these messages is so negative. So can you share a little bit about those experiences? Sure. I call it the biggest seed, right? The fat seed, because that was, that was the word. That was what I planted in my head that this is who I am. Um, And it started with just a nickname and I don't, you know, I look back on it and, and realize that my brother had no idea and his friends had no idea. It was just a nickname that that came out of nowhere, but it was Annie Fanny Farmer. And I was so excited to play with the boys. I just wanted to play with the boys and they had this nickname for me. So whenever I came to around the back to play, they would always just have that taunt. And I, I hear it in my head when I was writing this part of this book, it was over and over and over again. So it actually was very healing to, to, to move through this one more time. Um, or a lot more after you have to edit and everything, but a lot of a lot of that kind of being in that space, standing in the backyard as an eight or nine year old little girl and hearing the words and then having the you know feeling the tears and feeling the frustration and feeling um, not wanted, right and uh, kind of abandoned and left. And that Fanny, I don't know why now, but I I know that that's the start of it this Fanny Farmer, Fanny Farmer. I could, that's all I could hear in my brain over and over and over again. And then it was just a a cascade of events that, you know, that um, the system in your brain is escaping me right now where uh, it looks for what you're, what you plant in it. So it's that red truck theory I talk about where, you know, if I'm going to buy a red truck, then I'm going to start to see all these red trucks, the AIS, I think um, articulating activating system or I, whatever that I know that I know the words, but can't, they're, they're escaping me right now. Um, but because I thought that thought that I was fat, anything around me that I saw or heard was attracted to me as proof that that is right. So the um, going to the store, not fitting into the regular section store at Sears and having to go to the back and that husky, the husky section, the husky word, um, hating what I was, what I had on, hating the feel of it. And then seeing the light in my mom's eyes about, oh, those look so great and just, okay, okay. And more proof that I don't belong. I had to go to the back of the store to get clothes. And very sure, these are all kind of very cascading events, right? One right after the other. And the third was that doctor's office visit where the doctors, you got to watch what she eats. And everything changed then because I weighed, I got weighed on the scale. And oh, I just remember the I, scales still do that to me. You know, as part of that recovery process and recovery process, I, I just, they talk to me sometimes. So I have to really be very vigilant about my own my own recovery process when it comes to that. Like that's not, that's not for me. And I think it's because of this constant scale um, in my journey all through high school 
all through college, you know, all through my, my grown-up years, really until probably about 10 or 15 years ago, it was always there taunting. And it comes from that. That's not right. That's not the right number. You're outside the, the size range. You need to be a different size in order to be okay. I heard I had to be a smaller size. Can I ask you a question going back? And, and I hope it's okay that I ask this. With all of these experiences, like I'm too much, I don't fit in, I'm out of the norm. What does this also feel like as a child who was adopted? Do you feel that that added to the, I am different, I am bad, I am wrong, I do not fit in? Or is this something that I'm, I'm taking in a direction that's, that doesn't exist? I think there's some of that. And the reason for some of that is because I was so blessed with, with my mother and father, right, and um, who, who raised me. Uh, and I realized that it, it was the best thing for me. And I've done a lot of healing around that. But as a child, I can only believe that it was part of the story. It was part of the why didn't my mother want me, right? That whole language that I don't think was really developed until it was a little bit later on between that five, six, seven, and realizing I always knew I was adopted. It was never a surprise. It was part of our language. Um, and it, it was introduced as, you know, we wanted you, we picked you out, we chose you, that kind of phrasing, right? Um, but there is a little bit of um, emptiness that I think is in, internal. You know, I believe that there's an internal um, wanting or disconnection because of that um, taken from uh, a birth mother, you know, and not really knowing where I was or what was happening for, for the first few months of my life. You know, I believe that it's connected and I also believe it was a blessing. So, you know, that's part of the healing, I guess, of the whole, the whole story. Was, was writing this book healing and also difficult because by the way, what we're talking about so far, we're only talking about to like your age 13. We're not even, we haven't even jumped into the rest of it, which by the way, I don't really want to, cause I want people to get it and read it. Cause it's so wonderful. But what was it like writing this book and what made you decide to do it? Well, I'll tell you, there was a, I went on a work, I went to a workshop cause I've been blogging a little bit and this is right in the early stages of, I will say that, um, I had an eating disorder as a child, but then I also relapsed pretty harshly um, during a divorce. And that was really when I started to begin to seek recovery because I said, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And with that, I did a lot of journaling, a lot of blogging, and I actually put some of the my stories out to just some friends. And there was such connection with people they, oh, I resonate with that. Oh, I understand. Oh, I went through that too. Maybe there's more to this whole story. And so I went to a writing workshop and that kind of solidified this knowing that I had a story to tell and really wanting to share my story because it had kept me stuck for so long. I mean, I was in my forties when I was going through the divorce and having just right back, falling right back into eating disorder behavior. And am I ever going to be okay? Am I ever going to get, be recovered? Am I ever going to get out of this mess 
that I've made of my life. And that's truly what I believe I had done. I had just messed up my whole life because I was always trying to fit in, to be accepted, to look a certain way. I, I write in the book about how I'm missing some of the opportunities with my daughters that just breaks my heart. I've, I've really had to work on allowing myself to own that and um, be responsible for that and also to make amends with them. Say, you know, I'm sorry. I was in my own world. I, you know, I didn't eat chocolate cake. I was too busy about, too busy in my own head about worrying about what other people were thinking or worried about other things as to be present with the girls. And so the healing of writing this book was so worth the, the experience because I was able to, and I use that analogy of focusing out, right? So widening the lens so I could see how my life played out in a bigger picture, in a non-judgmental you know, place without the criticism and with compassion and say, okay, let's see how, why I, why I made the choices I made. Do I want to continue, hold on to that belief? Do I want to continue to act that way, think that way, feel that way, or do I choose something different? And that's when, you know, I went back to school and learned so much, opened my, oh, opened my eyes. And um, the first book that I read was uh, Health at Every Size by Lindo Bacon <laughs> and went, why doesn't anybody tell us this? Why don't we know this? Why isn't this mainstream? So that's kind of the, the healing journey that I went on after my relapse really was just has brought me to, to do the work that I do, brought me to write the book um, and really feel solid in recovery, right? I'm, you know, I feel that um, I have the little things that happen every once in a while, so much easier to just go, yep, that's the old voice, right? That's the old voice. That's the old voice that is just brushes right off versus falling in, listening, and following down that pathway. It's pretty overgrown now. So <laughs> I want to point out though, what what was most pivotal, which you were saying was being curious and having compassion. Because, and, and I don't mean to be speaking for you, but Anne, you did not mess up your life, but it was important to figure out how you got to that place. Because by the way, Sometimes the function of an eating disorder or substance abuse or whatever it is, is survival until we're, we're ready to, and, and I'm not excusing anyone. I did, I have no excuses for being in my eating disorder, but I, but there's, there's parts of it. If I looked back on my life and said, I, I was a mess and I messed everything up at that time, that doesn't take into account all the things I tried to do just to get out of bed every morning. And you need compassion for that. And you need curiosity. You do not need judgment and shame and self-criticism and things such as that. It's interesting that that's where I went to, right? That this is, I messed up. But now I look back, when I look back, I can say, well, those all those things happened for me. Everything happened for me. It wasn't to me or against me or setting me up. Um, and I do talk to my clients today about survival. You know, we do what we need to do to survive all the different things that are going on outside of us and inside of us. 
So I, I thank you for bringing that to my attention because it's just, a, it's just, oh, that's just the way I am, right? It's that another belief system that for me is where I can do my own work around, yeah, no, my life was just the way it was supposed to be. And I learned so much from my experiences. Yeah, I, I say all the time, I never want anyone to experience an eating disorder or some of the other events that I had in my life. That being said, I can't take back the events that happened in my life. They're done. So what do I want to do with it? What do I want to learn from it? What I learn is that I never again want to try to solve an uncomfortable feeling with an eating disorder behavior. What I learned is that it is much better for me to move through the discomfort and get to the other side than avoid it in an eating disorder. And not everybody learns those lessons, uh, you know, and, and whether you've had an eating disorder or not, you know, we are somewhat of an avoidant culture of emotions, conflict, you know, shaking things up, whatnot, that it's, it, it takes courage to do it. I don't know if that made sense. I was sort of rambling. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes complete sense. And I think the emotional piece is so important because I think emotions are much like our belief systems on who we are or our bodies or our, our personalities. We're taught that certain emotions are not good. You should not express that, or, you know, you can't be angry or don't cry. And, and that's, that I think harms us as we get older too, because all those emotions, they're part of the human life and human experience. And so why can't we allow ourselves to feel our emotions, even the uncomfortable ones? It's, it's so interesting. That, how do I say this? This is where I feel very privileged because I am absorbed in a world of like, I get the positive messages being in the field. And so it it is really unfortunate we there are so many censorships and restrictions that we put on ourselves as a culture that it is really hard to be to just be just be who you are and stepping into who you are and being okay you know think about that very first experience in kindergarten and to allow you to say that that was my belief system and we've all had little those little t traumas that impact us when we look back and see why do I curiously ask, why do I have that voice? Why do I say that to myself? Why am I always thinking that? And then allowing for that compassion for that little five-year-old to step in and say, you know what? I, yes, I'm eccentric. And yes, I, I, like to spatter paint <laughs> you know it's allowing those just to be who you are and not step in and say no you can't think that no you can't feel that no you can't it's all that judgment that our whole our society puts on everything and that what spirals us all looking sometimes for something to make us feel more comfortable finding that comfort can you talk a little bit about the shift and what it was like, some of the steps you took? Because it takes more than curiosity and compassion to move through this work. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Linda Bacon's book was really the first piece of the puzzle. And then I went on to become an intuitive eating counselor. And that opened my eyes with Elise Reich and 
um, Evelyn Trebol. So wonderful, another wonderful book and another wonderful way of thinking around food and eating in our bodies and movement and self-care. So this journey started with me breaking down, my body basically breaking down, realizing I was back in a disorder, asking for help, seeking a therapist because I knew I needed help, um, and then stepping into being more curious about all kinds of things like neuroplasticity and so um, and, and self-talk. I went tra- and got trained by Shad Helmstetter in self-talk, understanding the real underground piece of that and why that's so important and how that can really help us learn a different way to speak to ourselves. And so all of this education and understanding and seeking and learning and growth along with therapy and getting help that way, right? They all come together. And so my steps were just that, continuing to learn and grow myself and allowing myself the space to say yes a different way of thinking, to a different way of acting, to seeing a different perspective of myself, of food, of exercise. I spent 30 years in exercise beating, you know, basically it was feeding my disorder more than it was helping me. And that that's a whole other. (laughs) Say a little bit about that only because it is not uncommon, and and I'm not saying everybody who goes into the field of you know nutrition or physical educate like physiology. Forgive me, everyone. I'm I'm having a little trouble with my words today. Um, th- it's not always fueled by an eating disorder, and I'm not saying you cannot go into these fields if you've had an eating disorder. But I'm saying sometimes the motivation for that career is first started from the disordered part of self. So speak a little bit to that. Yeah, absolutely. That is the only thing I felt good at going through school was moving my body. You know, I was good at gym class in the beginning, right? In the very beginning. Then I went through a really rough time. And then I ended up um, playing soccer towards the end of my high school. And that it just was a natural. That's the only thing where I felt accepted um, approval from my parents, right? There was there was that piece. Uh, I was good at it. I, tr- I I think I talk about in the book a little bit. I shifted my obsession with food, right? And counting and calculating to soccer. I mean, I played it all day long. It was it was the one thing that I did over and over and over again. So it was still kind of an obsessive compulsive behavior. And I went to college. Oh, fitness, that makes sense. So I got my degree in exercise science. Oh, that will keep me I have to look a certain way in order to be in this field. So I have to keep myself fit. There's this, a lot of those have tos. I have to, I have to, I have to. And that's, I mean, and I spent years in that field and and having a baby and getting right back into shape and not even allowing myself to notice what I was doing. It was just a go, go, go more, faster, harder, right? That mentality until my body was just like, whoa, we can't do this anymore. And my body just started to break down. And there's a little tipping point with my knee and stuff that happened with my knee and really realizing it wasn't working. I also want to point out and forgive me for interrupting. What I'm what I'm reflecting on right now is so many of my clients who say, 
oh, Karen, I've been doing this for years. My body can handle it. And what I say to them is your body can handle it today, but it might not be able to handle it tomorrow. And what you have been doing to your body for all these years is slowly breaking it down. And so that's what I was thinking about when, when you were saying that. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Absolutely. I think that it was the, it was the one thing after another, after another that kept me in that space. So always driving for more. Oh, if I did so many classes today, then I could do, I can do more, right? I was able to talk myself into all of that. Um, and then the approval from other people, right? Oh, wow, you're this or you're that. And just absorbing that and, and feeding my, my psyche in my inner being like positive words because that was the only place I was getting them. I certainly wasn't doing it for myself and I wasn't getting them within my marriage. So it was, that was my, it was the way that I was moving through my life was getting accolades from teaching this or teaching that or doing all these different things and looking a certain way. And I do, I know from being in the fitness field that there are many people who have disordered a disordered relationship with exercise and with their bodies, you know, body dysmorphia and really just not seeing themselves as who they are, only seeing themselves as the shell, uh, the outside of themselves. They are inside and that's the difference. How can we get people to see the inner, who they really are inside, you know, your talents, your gifts, your qualities, all the different things that we all bring to the table but aren't seen on the outside. How did it feel and how does it feel now? Because I'm assuming they're different to start slowing your body down. And and I say it like that, meaning I I know that I, I abused exercise when I was in my eating disorder and it was incredibly uncomfortable for me to stop. Like very, very uncomfortable. Now, where I'm at today, I... I take care of my body through rest and compassion. And how does it feel? What does it want to do? Does it want to move? Does it not want to move? So now it feels wonderful. But again, I had to move through that discomfort. So what was it like for you? It's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable because the voices continue over and over in your head saying, you should be, you should be, you should be. And it's quieting those voices and saying, wait a minute, my body some time and some rest. And now I do, I do the same thing. Even just this morning, I said, do I want to doodle or do I want to do some yoga? And I'm like, I'm going to doodle. I don't want to (laughs) move. Right. (laughs) So it was a, it's a, a space where I get to ask those questions and I get to tune into my body. And that's it. And I think people are so terrified that life is so black or white that it's not, you're just paying attention. Some days I do want to move. I want to do cartwheels in the park if I can, which by the way, I don't think I can. But anyway, (laughs) some days I do want to. And some days I just want to rest. And so it's not all or nothing. But when we pay attention, it's the same thing with eating, intuitive eating. There are days when I'm ravishing and I feel that hunger because that's where I'm at in that day. Okay, did I actually just say there are days when I'm ravishing? Um, 
Yes, I would like to think so. But what I meant to say that there are days when I'm ravenous and I feel that hunger because that's where I'm at in that day. And then there are other days where I, I'm, I'm back in, in a different kind of eating pattern. It, by the way, it all balances out. When you pay attention, whether it's movement or food, it balances out to where it's supposed to be, as opposed to forcing your body to a different place. And do you think, though, that it's very difficult to start to tune into the body when you've disconnected from it for so long, right? Isn't that there's a whole uncomfortable process of really starting to trust your body again, right? I also want to say, and I, I just thought of this, there's a bit of an uncomfortable part of being so in tuned with your body. Like I, there are times when I'm like, stop feeling so much. And I know that sounds funny, but it's like once you, once the curtain's been pulled back, like, like in the Wizard of Oz, you can't undo it. And so when I, it was very uncomfortable for me to start sitting in distress, discomfort, sadness, anger, whatever it is. Now there are times where I'm so emotional. And by the way, I love being an emotional being. It's who I am. But sometimes even I'm like, enough, Karen, just quiet things down. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot of energy. It's who I am. And with a lot of energy comes a lot of emotions. So it's never that everything is perfect. It, it, it just is. I don't know if that made sense. And I, I don't yeah, know. To allow all of it, yeah. to allow yourself, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. And that's even a harsh, you don't even want to use those words because it's, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And how can we just um, not put the labels on all of it? That's it. And, and being okay, going through the process and the, and the, and the feeling. And so, yeah, you know, it's so funny because when I was younger, everybody said I was overly emotional. Oh, Karen, she's overly emotional. She's always this or she's always that. And by the way, I don't know if now I hear it differently or if they've just changed their tune to meet me where I'm at. People are like, oh yeah, Karen's so emotional and she's so this and she's so saying the same things, but I interpret it differently now. And, and that's a pretty powerful feeling. You know, that's that to me is is a sign of living a reflective life and learning from your life experience. There was a time when when I was growing up, my God, love my mother. Oh, Sylvia. Sorry. Love you. She used to get really mad at me if she were sleeping like I would come home late at night because I was a teenager and she would be sleeping. My parents would be sleeping. And I have really I have a heavy walk. And we have hardwood floors. Or if I did it in the morning, it was worse in the morning before her coffee. And she would get so mad because I'd wake her with my heavy walking. So for a long time, I was so self-conscious of I'm a big presence. I'm a heavy presence. I am. And by the way, my mother did not impose that on me. It's just the way I, I walk too hard. I live too hard. I do everything too hard. Fast forward, like five years ago, I was working in a treatment program and somebody said to me, I always know when you're coming around the corner because I can tell your walk and it's so strong and it's just direct, like it's just, and I thought, I, I love that now. It's, it, I'm actually unique because of it. Like it's who I am. It's part of my essence and it's not a negative thing. And if it is for others, I mean, no disrespect, but that's, 
that's on them. Yep. So it's just interesting how situations from our past that were so challenging when we were younger, now through the recovery process, through the self-reflection, through doing the hard work, I can say, yeah, I have a heavy walk. Mm-hmm. My name right. is Karen and I have a heavy walk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And it's all, it is all in the way that we perceive it, the change in, in your own perception of this is a good thing versus this is a bad thing. And I, I just, it's so hard that we don't have other words for good and bad, because sometimes I just wish we had other words for, for that, because they have such harsh, harsh sometimes meanings, or somebody could hear that and take it the wrong way. And how, how can everything just be, just be, and, and without saying good or bad or you know, right or wrong or any of those words. I wish there was something that was just, you know, that's where the neutral comes in for me. Status quo, content, peaceful, free. Those are the words that help just allow me to find my own space, quiet my own brain, right? It just is. It's not good or bad. It just right. is. Yep. Yep. And I was thinking about what you were saying too, the external piece. Um, we're, we're always searching for something externally to find what we need internally and how can we shut off the external noise? You know, I think about turning down the volume of the external noise and turning up the volume to our bodies and ourselves and allowing not only us to start to trust our body, but our body to start to trust us. Like I'm going to trust you to feed me. I'm going to trust you to, to take deep breaths. I'm going to trust you to feel those emotions, you know, and it works both ways. And I, I feel, I feel sad because this, this is coming to an end. It has, it has just been such a pleasure sitting and talking with you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share with the audience or anything you just wanted to say? Well, I just think about all of, all of our life and the way we live our life and the way that we want to live our life has so much to do with so much more than just food and body and exercise, you know, really taking care of ourselves and, and quieting our voices and realizing we have choices. There's so much more to who we are. And I, that's really the biggest piece that I, I would love. When I first started doing coaching, all I wanted was for people to see themselves the way I saw them or the way their loved ones saw them, or, you know, that I think that's the essence of how can we see ourselves differently. And that can change everything. It's been so great to talk to you too. Thank you so much for having me. And it has been an absolute pleasure. So, and I kind of feel another book in your future. I just, I don't don't mean to add pressure to you, but I I feel like there's another book that's on its way. So, you know, let us know. We're, we're percolating. Okay. (laughs) I, I, I could, I felt it. I felt something. So, and again, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was really wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciate you and your listeners. Thank you. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at 
at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.